1: buyers define value as is progress. (laughs) If I had a meeting with you as a seller, the value is, am I closer to making a decision? Have I made progress toward making a decision as a result of this interaction? That has value. In the absence of that, there was no value.
2: That's right. And there's actually a couple more words. You're right. Progress is a powerful motivator, but there's a second component of motivation kind of at the top of the list of motivation, which is meaning. And actually, I think from the progress principle, they say making progress in meaningful work. And that's where these sort of reactive tasks are so deceiving because it feels like, yep, read that email, check, made progress, right? One fewer email in my inbox made progress, but it wasn't meaningful progress.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Maura Thomas, and she's the author of a book titled Attention Management, How to Create Success and Gain Productivity Every Day. And Maura's joining me today on Sales Enablement, Episode 784, to talk about individual personal productivity. Now, Maura's going to share with us why time management is not the solution to increasing personal productivity, because when distraction is the enemy, And that distraction comes in an increasing number of digital forms. The cure is what Morrow calls attention management. And we'll dig into why we're thinking about productivity all wrong and how to manage your attention. If you think of your attention as an asset that you're trying to manage, we'll talk about how to manage your attention and accomplish that in a communications economy, which is driven and profits by holding and capturing your attention otherwise distracting you. So we're going to dive into some very specific strategies and tips Maura has for managing and eliminating the distractions that are bleeding away your attention and your productivity. So all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Maura, I want to let you know that the whole team of people who work here to produce this podcast are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, and sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and review. And if you haven't already connected with me on LinkedIn, please do. You can search for me, Andy Paul, or the usual preamble on LinkedIn slash real Andy Paul. All right, let's jump into it with Mora. Maura Thomas, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me on, Andy. Happy to be here.
1: Well, it's nice to meet you. You're joining us from where today?
2: From sunny Austin, Texas today.
1: Sunny Austin, Texas. That's That sounds, that sounds nice. It's not sunny where I am. In fact, the, the windows are rattling because the wind's blowing so hard. Um beautiful day
2: here in Austin, Texas.
1: But the question is since we're recording this in the middle of the great COVID shutdown is can you leave the house?
2: Not really. I mean we go out and uh, and exercise, hikes and bike rides and that kind of thing, but our big outing these days is the grocery store.
1: <laughs> Fully masked up and gloved up, right?
2: Yep. Yep.
1: Got got to do it. Yeah, it's a different uh, different experience these days. So it makes you wonder is you yeah, know, when's it gonna be a point in time when we feel comfortable going to the grocery store without a mask and gloves?
2: It's such a new world. I'm wondering if handshakes are gone forever.
1: It well, yeah, I've thought about that. It's it's a good question, especially when you're in sales. You know, you're out meeting people all the time, depending on your the job, is you could be out all the time meeting customers in the field. Is like, yeah, yeah, maybe we're all you know adopt bowing as the new custom
2: yeah it's uh, it's going to be interesting that's for sure, and my work involves so much travel I'm wondering when I'm going to feel comfortable getting on a plane again
1: yeah well i I on the plane usually four times a month that's like, yeah I, I worry the same thing, or not worry, but wonder about the same thing is actually we have my wife and I have <laughs> our first airline flight booked for the twenty eighth of of this month, which is May, they were recording this since like Okay, we're gonna do it. We we gotta do it. So it's like okay, be prepped, which we were the last time we flew, right before the shutdown went into effect. Is you know, masks, gloves, you know, sanitizing wipes to wipe down our area, all that stuff. So
0: yeah, Mm.
1: brave new world. So
0: all right,
2: all
1: right, we're gonna. I'm glad you're joining us because we're gonna talk about your book, Attention Management: How to Create Success and Gain Productivity. Every day, and now productivity is a big topic of mine that that I'm always fascinated to talk to people about. So, how do? You, excuse me, I, was, <laughs> I choke on my words. How do you define productivity?
2: It's a great question because we throw around words, and it's so important to know if we're all on the same page. So, thanks for asking. There, there's a very specific definition of the word productive that guides my work, and it is. Achieving or producing a significant amount or results. Now, there's a sort of a manufacturing piece or a production piece in that definition, producing an amount. But if we take that piece out, what we're left with, I think, is the personal productivity piece, achieving a significant result. So, Mm -hmm. how productive you are is how much progress you have made on the results that are significant to you, and you get to define significance.
1: Yeah, not and I'm glad you you defined that for us cuz that's that aligns with what I <laughs> I believe productivity is in part. I mean, in sales you you have um, outcomes, right? You know, you're getting an order for a certain amount of revenue. But I look at it as that if you're doing activity that isn't going to contribute to producing an outcome, then isn't by definition isn't that perhaps unproductive work?
2: Well, and a significant outcome at that.
1: Right, right.
2: Exactly. And, And that's the thing, is that we spend so much of, it's very easy for our days to pass where all we do is react. We answer emails, we answer the phone, we answer instant messages, chats, communication. We react to all of those things and at the end of the day you feel like you didn't even have a minute to breathe, but you actually got really nothing done.
1: Yeah, even though you felt like you got a lot done. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you had an interesting phrase in the book. I interested in your interpretation of it. You said, quote, we va- we undervalue the achievement and overvalue the importance of the interruption. So tell us what you meant by that.
2: Yeah, I I had uh, an example from a client that I think just um, just shows how true this is so clearly that the, I I tried, I, I teach in my, in my sessions that people should close out their email so that they can do important work. So this guy will call him Joe. He had this really important project, like job, job was writing on the success of this kind of project that he had to do to get done. It was due. And he didn't close his email and he got an email from his boss and he was, he felt good that he was checking all of the emails as they came in while he was doing this project because one of them was from his boss and he was able to respond to his boss immediately with the answer that his boss was looking for. And he said, see, I would have missed that had I closed out my email. And I said, but how much longer did it take you to do the project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my boss is really important. So then I said, well, let's talk to your boss. Was that really urgent? Was that worth interrupting to get the answer to that question? The boss said, no, I would have just gotten it from someone else. It wasn't <laughs> that important at all. But, but Joe said to me, but see, he would have gotten it from someone else. So it's such a good thing that I, like it was some sort of contest, right? That he had to be the one to answer his boss immediately. Yes. Never mind that he was interrupted while he was doing the project, that it was a critically important project, that it took him much longer to do it, that it needed more proofreading when he was done. Never mind all that. He could answer his boss immediately.
1: Well, it sort of gets to that point about uh, sort of having a, a mindset of scarcity, right? I mean, Joe, Joe was thinking, well, there's not enough credit to go around, so uh, I need to make sure I grab some of that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Which
1: creates and contributes to distractions, right? Um, and so you say that distraction is not the problem. And so, or distraction is the problem. So it's time management isn't the issue. You talk about being able to manage our attention. So define attention.
2: Attention to me, well, I'll define attention management as sort of I use it in my work. But attention management is a is a combination of behaviors that th- where the end result when you are managing your attention effectively is that you can recognize the brain state that you're in and shift to the state that will serve you in the moment. So in the book I define four brain states and of course it's an oversimplification but four brain states reactive reactive and distracted focused and mindful Daydreaming or mind wandering and mm. flow. Now, th- all of those except for flow is is something that we can choose, right? We we can we can either allow distractions and be reactive and distracted. We can um, allow our mind to wander, or we can decide that we are going to be focused on a thing. Flow is something that happens to your brain on its own, but. If you focus for long enough, you might get lucky enough to tip into flow. And it's a brain state right. that your that your brain enters all on its own. So if you are managing your attention successfully, you can recognize: look, I am actually feeling reactive and distracted. My email's open. People are dropping by my office, but I need to be focused and mindful to get this report done, for example. So I'm not in the right brain state to get the right results for this task that is ahead of me, or this experience I'm having, or this moment that I'm in, or this conversation. What brain state do I need to be in? And am I in the right one? And if not, I need to shift. When you can do that, then you are managing your attention successfully.
1: Well, I think it's useful because as I was reading the book, it was it was it called to mind. Um a study that had been done by Herbert Simon, who was a Nobel Prize winner,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who had written this white paper in the early 70s saying that there is, is a very interesting paper because he basically forecasts the internet uh, well before its existence, saying mm-hmm. there will come a time in the future where we have so many sources of information contending for our attention. and And he said, you know, the part of the study was well. How do we decide how to allocate? And he called it slices of our attention mm-hmm. to which sources of information. And I think it's really useful for people to sort of think about attention as this, you know, in a, in a physical way. I mean, it's it's like you know, if you're a telecom person, you think about uh, bandwidth, right? Our limited resources, bandwidth in this communications pipe. Well, it's pretty similar with attention, right? Is how are you how are you allocating? You got this finite. Amount of this physical resource, attention, how do you make decisions? How to slice it and how to devote which portions of that to which sources of information? Because these are, to your point, you know, these sources of information can be a distraction or they can help you make
2: progress. Exactly. And I, I think Herbert Simon's work was so prescient. And I quote him in the book. Um, a quote I saw from him is one of the things that sort of led me down this path of attention management where he says, what information consumes is rather obvious. It consumes the attention of its Mm -hmm. recipient. Therefore, a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. And that is exactly our problem, is that there is so much information and that information isn't passive. That information gets pushed to us mm-hmm. through our technology. Mm-hmm. And so it leaves very little attention left for us to, to direct to the things that are most important to us.
1: Yeah, well, the thing that was interesting I thought about Simon's work, though, is that, that he said that we tend to make economic decisions about how we're going to allocate slices of our attention that we prioritize based on sort of an ROI on the use of that time. Have we lost that ability to do that?
2: I I think, I'm not sure that I'm qualified to say whether or not we've lost it, but what I will say is that we have become so habituated to distraction that we don't often make conscious choices because by definition, a habit is something that we do without even thinking usually. And so we, we are so used to study show Gloria Mark's work shows that we switch what we're doing about every three minutes, usually mm-hmm. in response to some sort of external or internal stimulus, either I'm bored. So let me go look at my phone or um, my phone just dinged at me. So let me look at it. <laughs>
1: And then we have the the settling time, as you talked about, to get reengaged.
2: That's right. That's right. Which could take anywhere from a few minutes to a few hours, depending on the amount of what I call brain power momentum you had had built up on that task.
1: Yeah, and I, I've used this example in talking with sales teams, and I was giving a, a webinar to, or not a webinar, but a, a seminar. Sorry. So. So, a customer saying webinar these days, I was actually there giving the (laughs) seminar. I
2: remember those days.
1: Team of about 100 sellers. And and I asked, I said, so who keeps their personal phone on their desks when they're in the middle of their call block? You know, they're making outbound, proactive outbound calls. And virtually everybody raises their hand. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, okay. How many of you will look at your phone? if you're in the middle of a phone call, and you get a notification, you get an email, you get a social update, something happens. And they all raise their hands, virtually everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there saying, gosh, you just spent, your company and you combined have spent all this time and energy to be able to connect with this person on the phone. You get them on the phone, and the first thing you do is let your attention
2: wander. That's right. That's right. We've gotten to the point, we've become so habituated to distraction that doing only one thing at a time has become boring. We are so used to sitting on the couch watching TV and scrolling through Facebook, eating dinner and watching TV or reading a book, mm-hmm. um, riding in an elevator and looking at our phone, right? We've lost what I call those in-between moments where we have that opportunity to let our minds wander which is where insights come from exactly and not only that but we we just can't trying to doing two things at once has become the standard because only one at a time is just boring
1: well it's it's boring or we we fear being alone by ourselves
2: yeah <laughs> yeah there's a, a Ned Hallowell a psychiatrist calls it um looking into the void right that self reflection that happens sometimes when we um are alone with our thoughts and many people would rather do just about anything than self reflect
1: Yeah well and I, so it gets this idea that you talk about daydreaming I call it rumination is this is you're talking about one of the Sort of three states is is this daydreaming, rumination, whatever, just letting your mind wander. Um, people might think, well, that's a a waste of your attention. actually, it's it's hugely productive.
2: It's super productive. We have forgotten that that just being is productive because when our minds wander, and for me, i I sort of see a difference between rumination and daydreaming. Rumination sounds a little bit more. Punitive to me, rumination is kind of when I'm beating myself up about something that happened, or I should have said this, or I should have done that, or I should have handled that differently, or um, that's how I, that's what I think of as rumination. To me, daydreaming is just. Sort of reflecting on what I've read, or what I've seen, or what I've heard, or what I've done, and making connections, and just you know seeing seeing what my brain produces because that's when we get the solutions to problems. That's when we have an insight. Our brains are not obedient, right? You can't say to yourself, "I will now solve the problem." <laughs> right? Your brain just doesn't work that way. You have to sort of um, uh, you have to get. There's a book called Nudge where they describe the elephant and the rider. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's in Nudge um, where they write your consciousness is the rider and your brain is the elephant. The elephant is a very powerful beast if you let it do its thing. Right? Sometimes the the rider has to get off the elephant and just let the elephant do its thing.
1: Yeah, I've used this examples for sellers before, but again, I call it rumination. But I I agree with you. It, It it speaks to a little bit level of deliberation, perhaps than than daydreaming, but. Is that, yeah, the, since we've seemingly do it less, is everybody wants to sort of put things away. You know, one thing's about the digital distractions, especially in sales, you know, we, okay, we're going to update Salesforce with the record of this call and this interaction we just had with this buyer. And then I'm not going to think about it again because I know it's in Salesforce.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas instead, it's like, yeah, but we need to keep whatever the term, rumination or daydreaming, it's got to be there because that's how we process what's, what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't wasted time, As I, <laughs> to your point, as I think that a lot of people think it is because i got to be doing something. It's like, right. no, this is, this is hugely productive. This is how you solve problems. You can sit down to solve a math equation, but oftentimes if it's something you haven't done before, you'll take a break. You may go take a shower. The solution will come to you in the shower. Exactly. One of my great fears in life is all the good thoughts come in the shower and I I don't write them down or I I have to make sure I'm conscious about writing them down as soon as I get out.
2: Yeah. Well, and because the shower is one of the few places these days, although not for much longer, where we don't have our phones in our hands.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I think I'll avoid having mine in there. How about you?
2: Uh yes, I think so. And I have seen actually I haven't seen them, but I have been told by a client that there are um tile crayons.
1: There right. Are. So that you yeah.
2: can yeah, so that you can keep them in the shower so that you can, can cap you can capture those great ideas that you have by writing on your shower tiles with the crayons.
1: <laughs> hmm. I haven't ordered some. I may that's going on my list here. I'm writing that down. <laughs> Uh but another key point you make about uh you know the idea of being distracted and, and our attention being diverted is that the technology sort of makes us think of we wanna be able to consume things in fast, short, and simple ways. And the world is not short, fast and simple.
2: Exactly. It conditions us to accept sound bites instead of um, instead of really understanding something, and so as a result, we have a tiny bit of information about a breathtaking number of things, and and very and, and and deeper knowledge about very few.
1: And I see this all the time with the way we represent data, like in graphic form. And obviously, we live in the world of big data, and sales is a field where almost as much as any, or more so than any, we've got this influx of data about. Conversions, yada yada yada, yada and act behaviors, but very often people don't want to dig in and say, "Okay, well, what's really going on here? What's the context here?" You know, Daniel Levitin writes about this in his book, The Field Guide to Lies. Is 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 our sort of superficial understanding of of all these data because we don't want to. To your point in the book is, yeah, you know, if we try to if we require something that's more cognitively demanding, it's it must be difficult.
2: Right. And, and I don't have time for that. I don't have the patience for that. Cause that's really the, in, one of the more insidious things about becoming habituated to distraction is that not only does it chip away at our attention span and our ability to maintain our focus for any period of time, but it chips away at our patience. So we, we also don't have the desire to spend an extended period of time on anything because we're not, we're too impatient. Oh, that's going to take too long. That's too hard. I don't have time for that right now. But yet when we do those things that is when we are the most satisfied that is when we feel the most accomplished you know th- that gives us that feeling of contentment and satisfaction at the end of our work days when we get those meaty things done
1: when we make progress and I, I like the part you'd had the quote from uh, psychologist just Resa Annabelle and Steve Kramer it says I guess is principle they call the progress principle, mm-hmm. uh, the single most important thing, you know, of all the things that can boast, quote, was of all the things that can boost emotions, motivation, and perceptions during workday, the single most important is making progress. And I find this so interesting because on the buyer side, there's been a bunch of research done about buying behavior. And someone said, well, how do how do buyers Define value when they're interacting with sellers. How do they define value? And because you know, value is one of these great cliche terms we use in sales all the time. Hmm. And what buyers define value as is progress. <laughs> yeah, you know, when one. I if I had a meeting with you as a seller, the value is am I closer to making a decision? Have I made progress toward making a decision as a result of this interaction? That has value. In the absence of that, there was no value.
2: That's right, and there's actually a couple more words. You're right. Progress is a powerful motivator, but there's a second um, component of motivation, or the kind of at the top of the list of motivation, um, which is meaning, right? And and actually, I think from the progress principle, they say making progress in meaningful work,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that's where these sort of reactive tasks are so deceiving because, you know, it feels like, yep, read that email, check, made progress, right? One fewer email in my inbox made progress, but it, it wasn't a meaningful, it wasn't meaningful progress. And so we don't feel particularly satisfied at the end of the day. And you're right. That salesperson could say, check one more sales call I made. But if the buyer didn't, if their customer didn't come closer to the buyer, to the buying decision, then it wasn't meaningful progress and it matters much less.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, you talked about sort of the the busyness part of things as people wear that as a badge of honor as opposed to actually getting things done.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, I wanted to go through some of the the tips you had about attention management. We sort of touched on some of them. You talked about turning your phone off when you're doing other things. Um, Yeah, I remember this, this, another seminar I gave to a client where I talked about that. I said, you know, when you're meeting with a client, either virtually or in person, and in this case, these people tend to meet with their clients in person, field sellers, is I said, turn your phone off and put it in a backpack or a purse or leave it in the car. And you know, had one woman in the group just said, I can't do that. Yeah, I've got, <laughs> got great school age kids and I need to be available at all times. And it's like, well, how do you answer that?
2: It's interesting because you're exactly right. I would say in the car is the best is the best recommendation because a study out of Virginia Tech showed that having our phone in our presence, even if we can't see it, even if it's face down and silent, or if it's, you know, in a pocket or in a bag, but still in the room, it lowers our cognitive capacity. According to the study, people performed better when their phone was in a different physical space, And when people say I need to be available 100% of the time, the truth is they, number one, they simply aren't regardless. Even if they do have their phone with them, there Mm -hmm. are times when they are asleep and there are times when they are um, in the restroom, although don't even get me started on phone use in the restroom, but um, (laughs) number one, they aren't. And number two, generations of children grew up just fine without, being, without having their parents accessible to them every minute of every day 24-7, 365. And the truth is how long is that sales call? An hour? If you can't, if you feel like you can't be away from your device for an hour, then I would suggest probably you don't need help with your productivity. You need help from a licensed mental health professional.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I usually will preface that that conversation as the seminar by holding up the phone and saying, "You oh, this is a WMD. This is a weapon mm-hmm. of mass distraction.
2: mass distraction, exactly."
1: And you know, we tend. People think, well, okay, if I leave in the car, then how am I gonna set up the meeting with the buyer when at the end of the meeting, it's like, well, go get it. Yeah. I mean, alternatively, yeah, you know, I'll suggest to sellers is what you do is you hold up your phone to the buyer and make a show of turning it off completely, mm-hmm. powering it down at the start of the meeting, and saying, "This is a really important meeting. I'll make sure we're not disturbed. Turn the phone off." And then you sort of shame the buyer into doing the same thing.
2: Exactly. You're exactly right. Somebody asked me that in a, in a virtual session I did the other day. How do you get other people to pay attention to you? It's like, sadly, we can't control what other people do. The only thing we can do is um, influence them uh, to behave in the ways we would like them to behave. And one of the ways we can influence them is to model the behavior. Yeah, And that's helpful. Yeah, Yeah, for sure.
1: So, another thing you talk about is a recommendation for t- maintaining attention management is checking your email on scheduled intervals. And I think this is hugely important. And I'm not always, I have to admit, not always consistent with this. But, like when I'm writing either a blog or I'm writing a book, as I'm in the process of writing now, my next book, is yeah, I go into composition mode that silences all notifications.
2: Yep. I would say, um, I would say, Um, scheduled is one word. Periodic intervals is another word. I don't necessarily, a lot of, I think there are some people who make what I consider to be a mistake by, by publicly announcing, you know, I check my email at 10 AM, 2 PM and 4 PM. Um, and I think that the idea, the concept behind that is a good one periodically throughout the day, absolutely. But when but there's always going to be a time where you can't because that means that everybody who sent you an email between you know 7 a.m or or 7 p.m. last night and 10 a.m this morning is going to expect a response from you at 10:01. <laughs> right and so right. Um, and there will be times where you can't keep to that schedule. And so I think it's useful to make it a little bit more fluid and check email periodically throughout the day, rather than leaving email open and downloading all the time, close it out, do what you need to do, and then and then decide, okay, for the next hour, I need to deal with my email. And then it's email time. The problem with that is that we have, as a society, I think at least many of my clients have mistaken the availability of immediate communication with the um, imperative for immediate communication, right? Just because I could answer it immediately doesn't mean I have to. And so people are trying to use email as a synchronous communication device. When I tell my clients is if you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. Email is an asynchronous communication device, and you'll never get anything meaningful done. If you try to read every email as it arrives,
1: yeah, well I agree, I th- and I think you have to you have to prioritize. I mean, I've seen instances in sales, and I advocate this. And it depends on the environment because it's not the same for all environments. Where this ability to be um, responsive in a value added way is a competitive advantage, uh, where it works for the buyers because the buyers are trying to work through something relatively quickly. You know, I, I see buyers' motivation generally is they want to be able to quickly gather information to make a good decision with the least investment of time and effort possible. If you can help them achieve that, then that's to your advantage. But typically, you're doing that within a, a defined period of time within the day.
0: Yes,
2: or through a defined channel. right? So, I often suggest that people put a line in their email that says something like, because you're right, you don't want to leave your customers hanging. You want to give them a path to reach you if if they need it, something in a time-sensitive manner, but email shouldn't be it. So I suggest people put a line in their email signature that says something like, I check my email periodically throughout the day. However, if you have a more time urgent or time-sensitive need, please, please feel free to whatever, call me, text me, have me page, text me, yeah. Call, yeah, whatever, right. whatever the the path is. And I think you can message that to your clients, um as a competitive advantage by saying you know your work is important and I will do it better when I can do it in an undistracted way and so as a result I can't be checking every email as it arrives and you'll yeah. get better work if I'm not yeah. mm-hmm.
1: So nothing you recommend which I think is is very useful and I, I again I use them um, usually during sort of concentrated sprints or so on as, as timers Yes. Um, I use you know, a Pomodoro timer, so 25 minutes on, five minutes off, and stand up and walk around and do something different. Uh, what's your take on that?
2: The idea is that human beings gravitate naturally towards stopping points, and so we need to um, oftentimes the way that we that we write things down on our to do list. Or enter things into our to do list is uh, we enter it in a way that isn't really helpful. We'll say things like, um, you know, or plan the strategy or <laughs> roll out the product or even, you know, write the book or um, things that are not really actionable. Mm-hmm. And so they're, I recommend. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so I recommend that people break things down into small bites. So be very specific in those small bites about, you know, start the task when you write it down with an action verb, something that is actionable, right? Organize is an action verb, but it's not really actionable. What does that even mean? Like how how would you start that right at this moment? It requires thought, but something like, um, you know, as opposed to organize organize the staff meeting, you might say email the staff about the meeting, because that's very clear. It's actionable. You know exactly what it means.
1: Yeah, so David Allen would say before you could do that, in his Getting Things Done, is you'd have to say, define what the agenda is. Say, you know, determine who needs to be invited. You know, there's he would say you actually have like six or seven pre steps there if you really if you really break it down.
2: In that example, true. Yeah. Yes, there there could be. But when it comes to that, you know, those, those sprints, if um, you, you need to have some sort of stopping point. So, right, you and I working on books, we might say, um, incorporate the edits from the publisher is something that is often on my to do list, right? You send the chapter off, they send it back with all the, all the track changes in it, right? And so incorporate the edits, well, if I just said incorporate the edits and I've got four chapters to do, I'm going to skip that all day long. So I might say incorporate the edits for the first five pages or incorporate the edits for chapter two or incorporate the edits for 30 minutes and use a timer. It doesn't really matter what the stopping point is. The point is you need to give yourself a, a stopping point. Now you might Build up enough activation energy, right? You might get rolling, you might have that brain power momentum that I talk about, and you might think, wow, I'm on a roll, I'm not I'm gonna blow right through this timer or this stopping point that I've set. Great, do that. But if you're if you're having trouble with your focus when the timer goes off, that's or when you get to the end of the chapter or the five pages or whatever you've set at that stopping point, is it's really useful to have a stopping point.
1: Yeah, I think the the challenge for for salespeople throughout this whole discussion we're having with Maura is in this idea of attention management, which is so critical, is that you have to break free from this this idea that so much of what you do is sort of process driven and that you're on autopilot, and because attention management requires being deliberate about the choices you make. And and this is this is oftentimes hard for sellers to understand that like you have this choice, right? How are you gonna How are you gonna spend this time or invest this time in a way that enables your buyers to make progress?
2: Well, and you're exactly right. And if you're going to, in order to add value, you need to be more than just transactional, right? And these these reactive processes, answering emails, answering the phone. Um, You know, reacting to all the variety of distractions that assault us all day long, those are sort of transactional as opposed to putting together a a thoughtful proposal or report or, um, you know, analysis for your client to Mm -hmm. offer something that is really valuable beyond the transaction you need to be. Un- thoughtful and undistracted for an extended period of time. So, I really think that attention management is a competitive advantage for sales staff.
1: Oh, I, I agree. And so, I urge people who are listening to, to buy this book. This is more promised. Uh, when she sent it to me, you could read it in an hour or less, which I did, which promised delivered, which From a sales standpoint, it's always, always (laughs) builds your credibility. Uh, The book's called Attention Management How to Create Success and Gain Productivity Every Day. And yeah, I recommend people pick it up and read it. It's a quick, easy read, but a lot of great information in there. And more, how can people connect and find out more about what you're doing?
2: If your listeners want to assess their own level of attention management, I've created an assessment for that. And they can take that for free at marathomas.com slash assessment. And that will put them based on their answers in the assessment, it will put them on the path and give them a starting point.
1: Excellent. All right. Well, more, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Andy.
1: Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this show, and I want to thank Maura Thomas for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this show. And if you could also leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, we'd appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing in your personal development today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.